Vinny Longy from Semi Supervillains back on the show. Vinny, thank you so much for coming back on. Hey, what's up, Poptimist Podcast? Thanks for having me. Having me back. <laughs> of course, dude. Congratulations on the new record, Frantic. Uh, yeah, it's out now. Out now, yes, out oh, now, wow. everywhere. Um, what was the process like for recording this album, and how was it different from your other albums? Uh, this album, we worked very closely with uh, Rick Wachowski, uh, as we do normally, um, but we did a little bit more of a hybrid setup where we were tracking remotely, um, just because uh, you know with the pandemic and everything, we had uh, we that was the only way to adapt. So I did a lot of the tracking of guitars in my house in Pennsylvania, as well as my house in Nashville or my dad's house, and then my house in Nashville recorded a lot of the different parts there, and then uh, we would kind of conglomerate with rick and he would give us guidance and wisdom and uh and yeah that's that's pretty much how how it got together he definitely has his fingerprints all over this one nice was there anything in particular that you wanted to set out to do this time was it a different writing process or anything like that uh yeah for this record definitely we wanted to um just kind of get back to our roots of just kind of more of like a garage rock type of uh, power pop sound. And uh, we did that. The last album uh, was kind of our first one since moving to Nashville. It was more Southern rock. So we kind of took a step back from that and just went back to just kind of what we kind of grew up with, um, with, the, with that style. Um, you know, if you're a fan of like bands like The Hives or Jet, you'll like this record a lot. <laughs> nice. Hell yeah. Yeah, I remember the first single you released from this was actually Living Stereo, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. I I remember you telling me, like, hey, I got this new song. You should check it out. And I listened to it. I was blown away, dude. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Because um, it just, it, that big wall of guitars, it's badass, super gnarly. Yeah, no, that, that was, we did that. And then the music video we did was pretty cool, too. We had a wall of, well, not a wall of amps, but two amps, you know, that were the, the amps that we used to record the actual recording were yeah. actually the, the, the exact amps that I had for the music video. So I thought that was kind of neat. Which amps were they? Uh, these 60s amp or not ampeg 60s uh, Silvertone. Silvertone oh, nice. Amps. Yeah, like a piggyback one and then like a combo one. They're they're pretty cool sounding. Yeah. I got one a couple of years ago off this guy, Jason, who sells all sorts of vintage equipment, and uh, uh, it shocked the crap out of me. So I had to take it to the guitar shop here in East Nashville, and, and the dude there, he like took out some like filter caps that were dangerous or something. So now I can use it safely. Cause I think like that one of the dudes from like the Kinks or something died because he was using like an amp and it like shocked the really? crap out of him in his basement. Yeah, and they like found him like later on. Oh man, I don't know which one. Not obviously not the main guy, but I feel like yeah. one of them or something. Yeah, that's crazy, dude. Um, Silvertone, that was a a Sears Roebuck brand, right? Yeah, yeah, they were uh, sold in department stores for like beginners and stuff back back in the day. But they're good amps, man. <laughs> Proto first act. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. Actually, yeah, like first act, I would say is probably not not good quality. But I guess the silver tones weren't great build quality. Yeah, they're not meant to be taken on the road, but you still see like mainstream guys doing it. Like Beck has them on the stage frequently. Uh, Jack White, and I'm I'm sure there's many. The list must Josh go from on. Josh Queens of the Stone Age. He uses too. one of them. Yeah. Too? Oh, well, wow. I I know he uses a silver tone. He has a couple different silver. He tone. uses a bunch of weird pawn shop yeah, stuff. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, but sometimes with that weird pawn shop stuff, you can get, it has such a distinct and unique sound. Yeah, and that's a great transition because all of our singles artwork, 
so we released four singles before Frantic, and each single had a different pawn shop combo amp on it. So we had a Supro, we had a um, a Dominator, we had an Orange, and then we had a Silvertone. So the Silvertone 1482 that I actually used, you know, on, on in the in the Living Stereo video. But yeah, that was like part of the thing. Like I I really dig like all those and i'm just like geeking out here but dudes like queens of the stone age that go and use these really weird amps to get their signature sound and nobody knows how to replicate it because it's not a marshall or a fender yeah so that was kind of like the part of the foundation for this record was like okay i'm gonna reach for stuff that i've not you know done in the fast so like screw vox screw fender screw marshall let's do like weird ones like orange and supro and silver tone and 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 yeah, and that's what we ended up doing. And like, I got a Rickenbacker amp too. It's like a 1959 Rickenbacker. Interesting. Yeah. It, How many watts is it? Like five. I don't know. It's a real little yeah. one, but it's it, it's cool. I use that on Living Stereo too, as as one of the guitarists for that wall of sound. Yeah, because it, the, like the way if you mic up uh, a little amp like that, you can get a huge sound from it. Oh yeah, it's a great stereo trick. Like yeah. everybody, like or, I mean, at least. You know, everybody should know, like, songs that have the biggest guitar sounds were sometimes made in the studio with these smallest guitar amps. And that's what people don't know, because on stage they see, like, Angus Young with a wall of Marshall stacks behind him. And ACDC, they probably used Marshalls in the studio, but it's not always the case. Did you know that one song, um... I don't know which one it is. No, it's not ACDC. Oh, you're talking about, um... Mountain... Something yeah, uh, Mississippi Queen. Mississippi, Mississippi Queen. Queen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was on a Fender Champ. That that's that's a, that's a small wow. small amp that did, that did that huge and the cowbell. Yeah, there you go, <laughs> Danny coming in with a save. Appreciate that, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's cool. So that that was done on on a Fender. Pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. maybe maybe Google reference it, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that was done on a small a small like ten inch speaker or something yeah. little like that. Yeah. When did you first start getting into recording? Because like. You're one of my most knowledgeable friends. Sure. When it comes to recording. Yeah. Um. I mean, just, I mean, everybody. When you're in high school, all you want to do is play guitar and play guitar and play guitar, and you're playing shows and you know everything that comes along with that. You know, you're making making friends. You're 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 hanging out with girls. You're hanging out with your your buddies. It's it's great. Um. And then you need to you know make songs to kind of throw a log on the fire to keep things going so you can't just play covers forever unless you want to be a covers forever band you know yeah. that's that's whatever but you know you go into the studio and our my first experience in the studio I was 18 and uh, a real studio not like somebody's like uh has a, a a friend is in college and they need to record a band and you go record but no I had I went to Rick Wachowski when I was 18 and he said get a song like completely done and come in and we'll do it and that's what we did and that song it's called Black Letter. It was on our um, first album, Tricks, and uh, my friend Tony Marino and I did the whole thing. He played drums, I did the guitar and, and sang, and he sang backups on it, and and Rick produced it, and it's great. And uh, that was definitely our first experience. The drum sound was Rick's old like Rogers kit, which is like a really cool like '60s sounding vintage drum kit, and then. The guitars, actually, we didn't use amps at all. We just plugged into one of those, like, uh, guitar processors, pod or something, and, and that was how we got the guitar sound for it. And then as we continued to record with Rick, you know, we ended up releasing our first album in 2013. After that, like, we had used that processor. I don't think there was a real guitar amp on that entire first record, to be honest with you. It was all processed stuff, just plugged straight into the, the pod. But then 
actually on our second EP, the, the song Stick With the, the One You Love, actually. I think that was the first actual amp I used on a recording. It was a, an, just a $200 AC-15 that Rick got at a pawn shop. So that's the first time I've ever actually used. So it took me about five years before I actually used a mic'd up guitar amp on, on an album. Just because I, I just thought that the, the, the digital stuff sounded so good, and it was just too easy to use it. Yeah. You know, it is. I mean, a lot of what I've what I've done, it's like I've recorded, you know, at um, at Blackbird and stuff like that, where they they're like, "What do you want? We have it." And uh, like, I don't know if it's just maybe a lack of experience or an uncomfortableness in that setting or what it is, but I feel like I get way cooler more accurate sounds just at home working in garage band and messing with stuff you know what i'm saying hey man it's uh there's 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 a lot of ways you can make a record and uh if it sounds good to you it probably sounds good to other people you know get it out there <laughs> yeah no for sure 100 percent. but yeah i think um th there's so many great things now that are out there um, like digitally, like even for, for gigging live, have you seen those head rush primes? I have no idea what that is. So head rush prime, it's like a, an amp modeler pretty much. Um, but they're really cool. And you can also like, you can record, like if you wanted to record one of those, I don't know, like a fender champ and be able to use it live. Um, you could, you like record that sound at your house and then when you go to play live you can get that sound oh okay. it sounds pretty yeah, accurate that's, that's cool yeah a lot of uh broadway guys use them oh really they're easy yeah easy like it is for like the gigging musician who's playing a lot yeah of so you don't have to break your back carrying the heavy equipment no that's it makes a lot of exactly. sense exactly <laughs> yeah well it's like as uh you know as time has gone on i used to be so dedicated to like, I'm only going to play this amp. I still only play my, like, Fender basses. Like, it, that's it for me. Sure. Um, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to amps, I always hope there's a back line now. It's, like, beautiful. <laughs> and if it's Ampeg or something Fender, even better. But, like, I, I for uh, I've been using Dustin's uh, amp. He has, like, a, I don't even know what it is. I, I think it's, like, a GK or something like that. And it sounded pretty good. I, I just used it for this gig that I played on Friday with the wrong side of uh, 40 band. So thanks to, thanks for them for having me out. We played over at home. Danny did the video for that. I didn't even know that they had a name. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, wrong side of 40. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a super fun gig. But it's like now as like a professional, I say in air quotes, I just want something that works when I'm playing live and then when I'm recording or doing something like that, I'll be a little bit pickier, but if I'm just there, you know, sure. Yeah. I trying mean, to make the scratch, then I want yeah. whatever's lightest and whatever is most reliable. And yeah. And then if you're like a higher gun use, too, like yeah. just use whatever is the, the least uh, yeah. amount of effort, you know, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so this new record, it's out now. Yeah, show it's it out off. Now. Yeah, there, here we got. Show, show that off. Yeah, yeah we got these uh, records here. They are pressed right in town here at the Vinyl Lab in Nashville, and uh, they turned out great. Uh, let's actually let me let's let's pull the vinyl out. Let's okay. show, let's show let's show Danny let's show it how off. cool these look. So I think I have yeah I have standard issue translucent orange. Hold on, I can probably even do a little quick push. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do that little push on the the translucent orange, and then Taylor has a limited. We call that color marble. 
uh, because it kind of looks like marble, like a countertop in some bougie kitchen. Uh, so we have them both uh, for sale on www.semisupervillains.com and then our band camp too. So that's how you get them. I don't think I'm putting them in any stores just because with the internet, our, um, just it doesn't make sense. If you want it, just order it and then I'll ship it to you. Direct to consumer. Yeah. Cut out the middleman. Not that for, I. Don't. Oh wow! There's a there's a, a thing in here too. Oh yeah, yeah. There's posters. Posters come in each record too. Oh nice. Here, let's show it off, dude. And the posters actually the uh, so the album is kind of just cut off, but then the poster is the full the full shot. So you'll get to see, um, you know what what was above and below, not just the twelve by twelve of of the of the photo. And that was taken by Andy Rosen, a good friend of mine. Um, oh nice, cool. Check it out. Yeah, this and, is then, it. and then I should say the cover design from my buddy Ben of the band Action Camp based in Pittsburgh, and he really knocked it out of the park. He's just a great graphic design artist, great musical artist, great uh, recording artist as well. Do you ever miss Pittsburgh? Uh, yeah. Is there anything that you miss about it? Like, is there uh, like I don't a miss the I don't miss the cold. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I get that. I miss seeing the Penguins. I'm a big uh, hockey fan. Yep. I miss going to PNC Park. I'm a Pirates fan. Yep, and the Pirates are doing good right now. That doesn't matter if they're doing good. I just like to see them. Yeah. But it's always nice when your team is doing well. Sure. I guess. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know too much about that. I mean, the Steelers, we were good for a little bit, and then we were kind of good for a long time, and now we're probably not going to be good anymore. But yeah, Pittsburgh sports bleed black, black and gold for sure. Yeah, I guess that's true. They're all black and gold colors, aren't they? Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Pittsburgh was a good, it's a good starter city, you know, especially if you're a musician. But uh, at some point you have to say, hey, let's, uh, we've, we've kind of reached the ceiling here. We got, we got to branch out because um, you know, there's not that many opportunities. But on the flip side of that, there's less competition. So it's, you can kind of rise to the top like rel with relatively, well, a, a, a moderate amount of effort. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas a moderate amount of effort in Nashville gets you bupkis <laughs> yeah yeah you end up yeah well it, it's like you always have to be hustling because you're a small fish in a big pond here right even if you were the biggest fish back home um but i think that's what's good about it man like, yeah because nashville's all big fish and yeah. everybody's a player and that's yeah. great because you have great access to you know you can just really leverage the local music scene and just get great session drummers and pay them nothing to play on your records and i'm just saying this to kind of be a little bit cynical but there's 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 pros and cons to living in a in a music city versus a non, or not as much music city. I don't want to like talk tra talk trash on Pittsburgh. They they do have a lot of great musical opportunities. And if you're thinking to move to Pittsburgh as a musician, I'd say go for it. It's worth the experience. They do have a lot of great venues and great people that support everything up there too. What is the the music scene like in in Pittsburgh? Is it is it mainly like indie rock or is it punk or? What is the the feel for it? Yeah, it's it's mainly indie indie rock, and then I would say a little bit of just kind of like hip hop hybrid stuff. Just because I mean, you have like Mac Miller was from there, so there's oh, a lot I didn't of know that. yeah, he's, he, I know a lot of kids that like went to high school with him and stuff. Uh, R.I.P. But uh, yeah, there's just a lot of people that do that. Um, that were in rock bands or in like it was it was a lot of pop punk and screamo in like the early 2010s. And now it's kind of transitioning towards that. I feel like a lot of those pop punk guys, I, I see them like now they're in like hip hop groups and stuff that are kind of interesting. The stuff is cool. It's definitely like what's hip right now, I guess. You know, they're, they're getting good Spotify streams and stuff, you know. Whereas, you know, most bands from Pittsburgh don't do great on Spotify, unfortunately. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. 
Yeah, I'd love to visit. I'd I'd love to go and see, catch a catch a game at uh at PNC Park, man. Yeah, man, it's worth I, it for sure. I hear it's uh phenomenal. Yeah, best ballpark in America. <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone says. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely benefits, and there's definitely some minuses to living in Nashville. But it's like, it's crazy to think I've almost been in this city for a decade. Like I'm closer to ten years than I am to. Um, five five yeah yeah well that's cool man you know you're doing you're doing good for yourself a lot of people a lot of people know you who you are and you build up your <laughs> reputation you never know somebody has a bass player go down they say i know this guy taylor berryman and i think he's uh, available you know and they might uh, give you a call yeah yeah i mean i'm open to whatever i feel like for me i've just always been riding the wave um and just rolling with the punches as they've come because you know, think things are going good right now, but it seems like it's feast or famine sometimes. <laughs> um, like last week, I was busier than I knew what to do with myself, and it's just super stressed out and overbooked and working a a day job still. And it's just like, okay, well, what do uh, when do I have some time for myself? You know, sure. Um, because I start to go a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that work life balance, man. It's yeah. real. You got to find that. Yeah, that equilibrium. Yeah, and especially with something that we do that's so fun, like uh, like music. It's it's if there's something that we can do, then it's it's hard to kind of say no to like if I have an opportunity to play. Um, I just always want to want to play. I've been I've been playing down on um, down on Broadway with uh, Dusty and Josh and um, Ian, and it's it's been a great experience. It's been really different because. Uh, now it's like I'm going back and learning all these songs that I learned when I was 15, 16 years old. And it's kind of reignited that love of why I originally did it. Because I, I feel like for myself, I go through phases and cycles where I'm just working on stuff. And it was like, uh, shout out to, to Eat, Sleep, Rock and Danny, by the way, for putting on that Norfleet show. Yeah, it was fun. It was super fun. It was uh, Garden of Eden, Norfleet, and then Tennessee Muscle Candy. But it's just nights like that when it works out, or the writers' round that you participated in a couple weeks ago, the the Poptimist writers' round. It's moments like that. Even even though I wasn't playing, it was like, man, I'm so lucky to be able to to do this stuff and have these people that are great, um, great songwriters and great performers, and get to to work with them and and be around them. It it's honestly a dream come true. Yeah, no, it was cool. Yeah, I was I was mad because I missed the first band, the Garden of Eden, at the uh, the Eat Sleep Rock show, uh, just because I had saw the Led Zeppelin tribute night where I guess a, a couple of the members from that band were in it, and th- and that kind of that was a great show, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of see them do their original material, but unfortunately, I got right when Northfleet was setting up on stage, and I had thought you guys were cleaning up, but you guys were actually setting up. So I was like yeah. pleasantly surprised. I, I I was like, oh man, that's great. I thought I was late, you know. Yeah, yeah, we were we were the middle act um, that night, and Tennessee Muscle Candy headlined, but Garden of Eden was phenomenal. I mean, it, it, to see the way that Scotty's grown. Um, from the time that I, I first met him until now as as a performer, as a songwriter, it's been really cool. And also his guitar player, the other guitar player in the band, Prince Parker. Parker's his last name? Yeah, Prince Parker. He is phenomenal, dude. Oh, yeah, that's He awesome. is ridiculous. That's cool. Yeah, I haven't seen him play before. He's really fucking good in my my opinion not not talking shit on any other guitar player in nashville Vinny, i love your playing i love josh's <laughs> playing 
to me, he he is just I. Danny's seen him a bunch of times. He is great. Yeah, he's uh, he's very experimental, like with the scales that he plays, and um, he's incredibly good. I will say though, and this is not, I'm not trying to be critical of Prince because he is phenomenal. He's um, like he doesn't know a lot of music. Like he he jams over everything. He and I, I, mean, I can't speak to this 100, percent but I believe that he doesn't ever like look up parts or anything he just does everything by ear so he's an ear only player if i'm not mistaken so um you know do with that uh information whatever you will but uh you know it could be argued that you know i mean knowing material is at least in nashville um a big part of like the success you know you can be as good as you want but if you're if you don't know a lot of songs then you're probably gonna have trouble in nashville Right, if I'm going to hire a bass player, a guitar player, a drummer, I'd rather have a guy that knows my songs than if a guy's just kind of making it up as he goes along. <laughs> right, well, and I'm not saying that uh, Prince has trouble in Nashville. I guess is, yeah. all, uh, is all I'm trying to say is that, um, in my eyes at least, I think like how good you are is, I mean, it's definitely subjective, it's, yeah, yeah. but um, especially in Nashville, like uh, some people would argue that the best guitar player in Nashville would be one that's like, playing some of the best gigs and i don't i don't know i I don't know exactly where i yeah i feel on that one my opinion on nashville guitarists are you take any nashville guitarist and put them in any town all throughout the united states and they're the best guitar player in that town it's just where great guitarists just flock so if you're you're just an average guitar player here you're you're just a monster somewhere else Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I, agree with that. I would agree with that as well. I th- I think with Prince in particular, what what sticks out to me is his voicing and his phrasing. Yeah, he also has great dynamics. Yeah, um, and he plays that. I don't know if he plays any other guitars or if that Strat is his main guitar. It's definitely his main guitar. He has this red Strat. I wonder if that's a Mexi or if it's an American or if it's a Japanese one. I don't know. You shouldn't have him on the podcast. Yeah, I asked him on. He said he would do it. Oh, okay. uh, we cool, just got to cool. book it. We'll, we'll nice. talk about the scheduling and stuff like that later. Um, all the, all the logistics of uh, the moving pieces, but yeah, um, he's really phenomenal. If you get a chance to, to see him play live, he's amazing. Have you, uh, does he play with anybody else or is he just playing with garden? So he used to play with Liv Noel. That was like his, uh, well, I won't say that's his first Nashville thing. It was what he was doing around the time that I met him. Um, and then I see videos. He he plays a lot of like the um, like jams and blues jams around town. Like he definitely gets out there and plays. <coughs> um, but I think right now the garden is like the only... Um, like real solid band that he's in that where he's playing like original music he knowing him though I'm sure he could hop right back with Liv Noel or whomever I mean again like I wasn't saying the the thing about him like learning things by ear is like a diss on him if any if anything it's the opposite it's It's impressive yeah Yeah. it's crazy because most people can't do that yeah yeah even even me when I'm jamming with people sometimes I have to ask them you know what's up like, you know, can you tell me what it is because it's, it's most of the time i can figure it out i get up in my own head sometimes about stuff like that though you yeah. know I, I i overthink it 
dude, I always get stressed out before gigs. Doesn't matter what the gig is, and if I've played like ten times, um, it's very rare that I'm I'm not stressed out. Like this, especially playing with new people, I always feel like this is the time that everybody is gonna find out that I, I actually don't know how to play. Yeah, like imposter syndrome. Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what it is. Um, I I think I, I don't know. I I just uh, I get up in my own head. Yeah, I'm the opposite. I've never been nervous for a gig ever, not once in my entire oh, life. Man. I'm always just been like, oh man, let's do this. It's gonna be sweet. <laughs> yeah, I dude, teach me. I mean, once I'm there and I'm on stage, then all that kind of falls away. But it's always the lead up to it that I think stresses me out because I'm like having to woodshed a bunch of songs and learn learn all the changes and i'm like this is a hard change here i have to remember that it switches here like one of the one of the songs we did was um on friday we ended up not doing it got cut from the set but i had to learn born to run and there's that crazy there's a bunch of like one-off changes that are in that song and then there's that crazy descending and then well it's ascending at first and then descending line and the bridge was like bum 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 bum, um, and I was like, I have to, I have to nail this part. But um, yeah, I just get super obsessive about it. But it doesn't really make a difference. Like it doesn't really make a difference about how neurotic I am uh, when it comes to stuff like that. Hmm. Uh, I don't think it contributes any way to success or failure. I just worry all the time yeah don't <laughs> probably just goes back to my childhood or something like yeah that. don't yeah just try not to do that so much yeah <laughs> yeah i need to get my my life back on track and start smoking weed again or something i don't know i don't know i don't know if that'll help yeah probably i would work. i would recommend you know counseling is great you know find like a nice counselor yeah and that's and you could you can like uh, take peel some layers back and then just find out the root and then and then uh, then you'll be good man yeah <laughs> Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. So, uh, did you watch the se- uh, season three of The Mandalorian? Uh, I've seen almost all of it. I need to. I need to watch it. <laughs> so, I. Uh, I definitely. I definitely saw like the first couple of episodes. I don't think I've seen the last one yet. So don't don't spoil. I won't spoil anything. Yeah. Um, what did What did you think of the the third season so far? Uh, it's pretty sweet. I don't know. Yeah. I like I like Star Wars. I like all the laser swords and you know all sorts of battles and stuff. It's yeah. great. <laughs> uh, did you watch Andor? Yeah, I saw that one, and everybody was raving about how good it was going to be. And uh, I I kind of lost interest in that one pretty quick. I wasn't I wasn't crazy about it. Yeah, I loved Andor, but I'm also a sucker for a long, slow political thriller. And I feel like that's what that show is. That's what it was, yeah. yeah. And I wasn't, I was like ready for like Darth Vader to bust out and start chopping some heads off, but no, he didn't do no. that at all. So no. I was like, I was like, man, this is like not the Star Wars that I know, but it's I get I get why people like it because yeah. they're like they're really getting into like the the background nitty gritty of like how this whole thing came to be. It wasn't, uh, yeah, you know. So and that and I get that 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 makes sense and everything, but. For me, I just want to see like action. Yeah, <laughs> especially if I'm watching Star Wars, man. <laughs> well, I'm I'm super stoked for the Ahsoka show. I think that that's looks the girl great. one. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. That I think I like her like kind of backstory. She's sweet. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it's supposed to be. It's rumored that Grand Admiral Thrawn is gonna be the big bad in that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I I know that guy is like he's like 
almost on par with like Darth Vader's like powerfulness. Like, uh, like he was like, if Darth Vader was like the army, he was like the Navy type of thing. Yeah. 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 I think he kind of ruled over the, the Imperial like Starfleet. Yeah. That's Um, cool. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of cool, dude. I, I love the fact that there's so much Star Wars happening now. Yeah. Oh man. I watch anything. It's, it's great. (laughs) Did you see that, uh, they're going to be making more movies with Ray as the main character? Oh, that's that's cool. Yeah, I I mean, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, it, I really like the Han Solo movie, like Young Han Solo. I thought it was good. That dude. it was sweet. Just if you just get past the guys, not Harrison Ford. Just imagine it being Harrison Ford, and it's a good movie. It, yeah, it was it was cool. Well, it's a coming of age story. I think that's what's cool yeah. about it. That uh, I I saw that one in theaters. Yeah, I, I did was, too. Yeah, I, I was super was excited yeah, I, for I, it. I, I thought it was gonna be a turd, but everyone and then like Woody Harrelson was like, I was like, dude. Woody Harrelson's in this? That's yeah. awesome. I love it. Darth him. Maul was in it. Yeah, at the end there. At yeah. The end, and yeah. I, I was like, oh, that's gonna be a great sequel. Then they haven't come out with the sequel yet. So yeah. what the heck? <laughs> I I uh I heard they were gonna make a Lando show with uh what's his name? Uh Childish Gambino, Donald Glover oh, yeah. as as Lando. He was great in that too. Yeah, yeah, I liked him. He was he was fun. Yeah, that, it, was, it was a it was a cool movie. If you haven't seen it, I'd I'd recommend checking it out. <laughs> yeah, solo a Star Wars story. There was a bunch of drama <clears throat> excuse me, that happened with that. Um, where Ron Howard came in after the movie had was already being shot because the directors, Phil and Chris Lord, got fired. Because um, I guess Kathleen Kennedy, she had said that what they were doing, it was too over the top. And they, they made Han Solo almost like an Ace Ventura-like character, mm. uh, which I honestly, I would be interested in seeing that. I, I kind of <laughs> like the weird the weird take on it. Yeah, I mean, like the the so what what the reason that Star Wars was good in the first place? Like, yeah, it was a cool story. It was like nothing had like anyone had seen it before. It was like a space western when it came out, like in the seventies. Like my dad tells me stories about like going to see it, and he was just mind blown away by like the starships and everything. But if you look back at it now, what really I think that makes those movies so classic is just the dynamic you had between the the, the three principal characters with like with with uh, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill. They just had such a great dynamic. It was like an ebb and flow. And with like the new, st- like every, everything, like the, the new Star Wars is done, it's like they tried to force that and it didn't work out because those characters never had a chance to kind of develop and have that, like, that pal around type of thing. Because if I, if I remember correctly from like seeing stuff like in the, you know, just reading stuff that they were like hanging out all the time and partying. So they like got to know each other, like, yeah. you know, them. So they were like buds off the camera too, which is, you know, kind of probably what a- helped add to the chemistry of the, of the three of them. What is your favorite Indiana Jones movie? I haven't seen Indiana Jones since I was a kid. Uh, can I get in favorite Indiana Jones scene? Yes. Uh, when he was only, there was a guy with like the whip or whatever. And like, and he's doing the all classic. this crazy thing and he just goes, Eh, and just blast them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, Indiana Jones. I've been rewatching them recently, um, and they're pretty great movies. It, it when you watch it, it's like this was definitely made in another time. Sure. And it's weird to say that about the eighties now. You know yeah, what I yeah. Mean? To look back and be like, that was a different time. Right. Um, but I I really love uh, Temple of Doom, and the Last Crusade is great too with Sean Connery. Plus, anytime you stick Nazis in a movie as a villain. 
Oh yeah, it it's, just it's, it's, it's perfect. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy. It's easy. Like you get that uh, kind of cathartic kind of feeling. You yeah, know? you you don't empathize with the villains at all. No. You're just like, no, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the, like that. What was that movie that was the really cathartic, uh, Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, that was, that was that the was Tarantino cool movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, some of those scenes were just like you just really like, yeah, get them. <laughs> what do you think the best, or what is your favorite Tarantino movie? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Why Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Without a doubt, I think they just did a great job of why well, I haven't lived through. I never lived through like the '60s or kind of like the the tail end of like the golden era of Hollywood. But so like the golden era of Hollywood is probably you would say like Mar Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, mm -hmm. anywhere from like the 1930s to about 1968, 1969. Yeah. And then it kind of comes becomes modernized and, you know, but I think they just really kind of captured that transitional period of it. Like, you know, the golden area kind of like being on its way out where you saw like Leonardo Leonardo Cap DiCaprio's uh, character. He was kind of like Dalton. Rick Dalton. Yeah. Rick was the aging kind of John Wayne-esque character of the movie where he was like having trouble finding work and he wasn't really finding a way that he could fit into this new Hollywood, this hippie culture where he was like the 1950s type of thing. And it was- He hated the hippies. Well, yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, it was, so it was like a, a, a mixture of two things. It was going from like 50s to 60s to like, you know, flower children, that type of thing. But it was also like, I think old Hollywood turning into like, you know, the, the golden era turning into like what's, what's kind of modern. I just think really cool it was cool to have like kind of like the charles manson stuff intertwined with that too just because like the whole the whole laurel scene or laurel canyon uh cultures is great you know you had so many musical artists living out there like frank zappa and janis joplin and like neil young buffalo springfield all those people and then you had just but they just kind of focused in on the charles manson thing and i mean there's been so many like charles manson movies and everything but just to kind of see the perspective from like the sideman I think that was cool to kind of just like infiltrate it that way. That it was in the backdrop. It yeah, wasn't yeah. center focus. Right, exactly. I, I thought that was really neat. Well, I was so curious whenever going to, to see that movie because I saw it in the theater. Like I'll, I'll always go out and support Quentin Tarantino whenever he releases something. Um, but seeing it like the first two thirds of the movie, it's really like a a movie about friendship. You know what I mean? Sure. About oh, yeah. It's, it, it, he really, I mean, it's a long movie, but he lets those two characters and their relationship develop. And I think that's integral for the movie and for the book, really. I don't know if you've read the book yet. I have, yeah. The book is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It is just, it's really good. I mean, it's, you know, I thought it was just going to be like, oh, it's like, you know, you read Harry Potter and then you saw Harry Potter type of thing. No, it goes off and it, it goes jumps. into more backstory and jumps around and it goes to more like afterwards story too. It is really cool. I definitely recommend it. If you're listening to this podcast, check out that book because the book, it enhances and definitely see the movie first and then read the book. It just, it's just really enhances the movie, the whole movie experience, I think. Yeah, I need to, I need to uh, rewatch the movie after reading the book because it gives you more insight, like you were saying, into the characters. Like the whole, in the book, um, like Cliff's dog and like how he would take her to dog fights and stuff and <laughs> how he ended up he's killed like multiple people and it finally says in the in the book like yeah he did kill his wife yeah yeah I mean that was cool like just from like the st like that sells books like you know where he went and killed a guy in a pizza shop or something yeah. oh, sorry spoiler alert yeah but no I, it's just it I like kind of how it the movie leaves you hanging because there's so many like throughout that era there's so many like kind of like B and C list stars that we see in like like the uh, like the the you know they'd be like dollar store DVD action movies. You yeah. know, we, the, the equivalent to back then you had like, you know, I could totally see Cliff Booth who was, I think Tarantino went and saw like Cliff Booth, which was, um, 
Brad Pitt's character in the movie. He's this guy who is a World War II vet, just a, just a badass, just like like the Amer- all American dude, just doing all the cool stuff, getting the girl, and he's a side man. And I I kind of see him, you know, kind of modeled after Lee Van Cleef, because Lee Van Cleef was kind of a guy who was, and or Charles Bronson too. Those guys were action movie stars in the '60s and the '70s, and you know they were kind of like middle aged by the times the '70s rolled around, but. Um, just, just, re- just really cool how like you could see that character potentially develop into those. But yeah, if you've ever seen like Once Upon a Time in the West or Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, those are two great Charles Bronson or Lee Van Cleef. Lee Van Cleef was uh, Angel Eyes in, uh, in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The yeah, yeah, he was yeah. the guy with the, the mustache, and then, and then Charles Bronson. Man, he's in he's in Death Wish. Death Wish One. Jimmy Page did the uh, soundtrack for. Just a great. I did not know that. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's great, man. Check it out. I mean, I think you could buy like the soundtrack at like Grimey's. I've seen it down there, like in the basement or whatever. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, definitely. I think the the other thing I love about Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood is just like the set design and all the outfits and all the colors. It, it's amazing. It is. My one criticism, though, is, you know, as they do like the, uh, the the drone panoramic shots, you can still see that they have modern traffic lights because, I mean, I guess they couldn't change the traffic lights back to the if they wanted to use Los Angeles, they had to use the, you know, or, or maybe they didn't have enough budget for it. But that's the one thing. Every time I see it, it just like gets me. I'm like, oh, dang it. Those are modern. <laughs> uh, I guess Tarantino is going to be filming, starting to film his last movie this fall. Oh, that's cool. It's supposed to be his 10th and final I hope it's a Still. sequel to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or, or something. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it's it's not supposed to be. I guess it's supposed to be about um, a film critic. It, well, it's called the film critic. That's oh. what it's supposed to be called. So I'm curious to see what he does because, like, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood really felt like a goodbye for Quentin Tarantino. To me, it did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, it was definitely. I think that was his. He, I don't think he's won an, uh, like an Oscar for like best picture, but I think that was probably like, I think it had a really good chance at winning, but I think Parasite won that year. And it, I, Ford versus Ferrari came out that year too. There was, a, there was a lot of good movies that came out that well, it was 2019, but yeah, I saw Parasite. I'm like, okay, if this beat these couple of movies and Joker, I think it was in the oh, same, or maybe, yeah. maybe it was the next year, but, but either way, but I'm like, let me see this movie and see why this won the Oscar. And then I saw Parasite and I don't, I don't know if you've seen it yet, but no, I, okay, haven't I won't seen give it. you any spoilers. Go see it. You, I mean, wear glasses. It's you, a you, Korean you, horror film, right? Not, well, I wouldn't call it a horror film. It's just, it's just a, it's a thriller. It's, it's, it's a thriller movie, um, in, 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 on, on many different levels, but check it out. You'll have to read all the subtitles, but it is. A really good movie. Oh my god! And, and you'll see, like, okay, this deserved to win. <laughs> nice. Um, did you ever see Train to Busan? I believe I have. Uh, it was was Brad Pitt in it. No. So that's that's Bullet Train. That's the American version of it, or no, no, they're, they're making an American version of it. But basically, um, Train to Busan is a zombie movie where they're all living on a train. Well, that's they're going they're taking this train, and a zombie outbreak happens as they're on this. Like high speed train. Yeah, yeah. It's don't cool. get, don't give it away. I want to see. Yeah, it. <laughs> watch it, dude. It's phenomenal. It's a great movie. Yeah. I, lo- I loved it when I saw it. But um, Bullet Train, I haven't seen yet, but I want to see that with Brad Pitt. Yeah, it was great. I love that. It one. was it was yeah, good. It was cool. Yeah, yeah really I think cool. it's on Netflix now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's where I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to to check it out. We'll have to watch that. Have you watched uh, Barry on uh, HBO? I don't have HBO. Dude, it is phenomenal. Danny introduced me to it. 
Yeah, it's a wild show. <clears throat> I actually uh, watched the second to last most recent episode last night. Is it batshit? I can't say anything. It's a great show, man. Like, I, I was very skeptical at first because um, I'd seen advertisements for it the past couple of years since it's been on. Um, but it was great. Uh, Bill Hader, he stars in it. Oh man, I like it already. Yeah, Bill Hader's sweet. <laughs> and he he's he, an executive. Uh, he's the writer and executive producer. Too, yeah, and he directs a lot of the episodes as well. So oh, this kind of seems like it's his baby. But yeah. this show has made me from here on out be like anything Bill Hader does. Oh man, that guy I will watch. That guy deserves so many Emmys just for yeah. what he just his work on SNL. I mean, yeah. just like Officer Slater. Like, come on, man. He's yeah, cool. yeah. He's great. Super bad, dude. <laughs> dude it's he's, a classic. He's in the Californians. He's one of the OGs in the Cal the Californians. The skit, the SNL skit. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Um, but I guess the best way I could describe Barry is like. He's a very serious character, but everyone around him is just fucking ridiculous. Because <laughs> usually he's the ridiculous exactly. guy and everything and else. And that's why it's so good. Is like he's he a plays, good dramatic actor. He plays oh, this yeah. very serious, dramat, like, dramatic role, like who has to deal with serious, like dramatic and traumatic shit. And everyone around him is just fucking ridiculous. Yeah. That's so, hilarious. That's all I'll give you. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It's fair it's enough. worth watching, man, because we started watching it, and uh, I was I was binging it. Um, yeah. You, oh, yeah, I realized, too, you're only one ep. We were actually caught up before last night. Oh, okay. Yeah, we so, were at the same. So you have one episode, and then we're caught up until one, like, there's only one more episode to watch. You're, you're only two episodes behind. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I might watch that tonight then. Yeah, dude. If you get a chance to watch Barry, watch it. We also, also the boys. Yeah. Dude, I was just about to say the boys. Aya Cash is in the boys, right? Who, I don't Red, know. Red hair girl. Uh, oh, probably. Uh, it, is that maybe who plays Maeve? I don't know. Is she? I don't know. I, I know she's in it and I know that that's, uh, that's a show that's, that exists. I, I've not, I haven't seen it though. <laughs> Are you into superheroes? Uh, not particularly, but I mean, I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> You'll okay. So I, I like superhero stuff. I do. I, I like, like Deadpool, man. Deadpool was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, Deadpool three is coming out. Have oh, yeah. you heard about that? No, I just, I just like that. How it's kind of like a satire of everything. You'll like the boys. The then. boys is kind of a this satire is too. Big time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I will definitely like it then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's social commentary. Yeah. It's basically like. It's what, what uh, well, it's basically mind. superheroes, but if they were known to the public and celebrities. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. And they're just, a lot of them are just horrible, horrible terrible people, people yeah. who just do crazy shit and they have like they PR people it. who like sweep shit under the rug. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cover it up for them. <laughs> Interesting. And basically, yeah. there's this group of. Well, don't give away too much. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm well, actually going to watch this. Is, this. Is, yeah, the, the, the one actress that I like a lot, she's in it. So I, okay. I, I was going to, I was planning on watching it anyway. Okay. Watch it. It's it's amazing. Carl Urban is amazing in it. He's fantastic. Um, and then Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's son is one of the leads in the show. Okay. And he's he's pretty good too. Huey, nice. guy who plays Huey. Um, yeah. But yeah, so if you like uh, the satirical nature of Deadpool, it's different than Deadpool, but it's making fun. Of... Yeah, yeah. It's more probably more tongue in cheek than Deadpool. I would I would think just. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind of described. Yeah, plus anytime I think you can tell a story over like a long form 
narrative there's, sure. more, there's to more to flesh out yeah, yeah yeah with characters and plot i mean that's with any with any show <laughs> yeah for sure um but yeah Vinny, dude thank you so much for uh for coming on do you have any shows coming up yeah, we got a bunch of shows this summer. We are uh, back in Nashville, July. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start. I'll go down the list. So Pittsburgh, June, July second, Club Cafe, Nashville. We're at Springwater on uh, Friday the fourteenth, and then we're doing a little run in August. We're hitting up Cleveland, uh, back in Pittsburgh again, playing a record store there, and then and then a couple other places in Ohio and the Northeast. So it'll be pretty pretty sweet. Still, some of those are still in development. So. But, uh, but, yeah, if you got a chance to see us, uh, we're going to be any of those places. Just check us out at com. we got all our tour dates posted up there, and that gets updated weekly. So Beautiful. And where can people find the uh, the new record, and how can they get these uh, great uh, great finals? Oh, yeah, let's show these off again because they yeah. did turn out great. Just type in into the Google machine the semi-supervillains frantic, and you'll be able to find it. And, um, yeah, we got we got records on sale online. That's how we're doing it. I don't really... I don't think I really want to haul these around on the road either because they take up a lot of space and they get warped in the van with the heat. So probably if you want one, you're going to have to order online. And if you want a special color one, uh, send me an email and we'll see if we got that for you. <laughs> and where? Uh, what are your social tags, social media tags? Uh, I don't know. If you just Google, if you just type it in, it'll pop up. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you got a YouTube channel <laughs> yeah. going too. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we have like, it's from, from like an SEO standpoint, we got like the first like 25 hits at least. So oh, it's, nice. it's, you, you'll, Hell you, yeah. it shouldn't be hard to find us. Just make sure you spell villain, right? V I L L A I N, not I A N. That's spelled villain like civilian. So no, you're dumb. <laughs> spell it right. You spell check. <laughs> Vinny, thank you so much for coming on, bud. It was good to see you. Good to see Congratulations you. Congratulations on the record. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Keep on dreaming. See you next week.